What's up, everyone? Welcome back to this week's episode of the Three Things Podcast. Super pumped to have our first Canadian guest, Dean Somerset, on this week. Dean and I have a great conversation about how to build trust with clients, how he's been able to stay in the personal training fitness industry for so long, and what advice he would give someone looking to move from a big box gym to being an independent contractor. And this answer was pretty awesome. So if you're in that situation or if you're a current independent contractor trying to evaluate where you are, Dean drops some serious knowledge on that topic and I'm super thankful for that. This is a great episode. Tune in. Looking forward to uh, our next conversation because Dean Somerset, if you're listening to this, it won't be our last and enjoy. Somerset from Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. I'm an exercise physiologist and kinesiologist. Uh, I actually train people in real life. So I know that's kind of a a weird thing for people to do these days, but uh, it seems to be something that fills the time and uh, fills the needs. So uh, most of my clients range from either injury recovery to elite performance to weekend warriors to people wanting to lose weight. So kind of the full spectrum. So I'm one of those kind of people who doesn't like to niche down too far because I just get bored. So if I can work with a good variety of people, it makes things pretty interesting. You might be one of the few people in the industry to actually say that as far as just the broad spectrum of people is what you actually seek, which is um, you might be the unicorn, Dean Somerset. You might be a unicorn. I've been called a lot of things. Unicorn's not really one of them on the list. but uh, uh, this is a big, The Lee household's a big unicorn household. So anytime we can find one, we like to point them out. Um, so for people tuning in the three things, the title of the podcast references, the three things I have not written down, actually typed out on my phone, um, that I'm going to ask Dean and Dean is going to share some amazing insights, um, on these three things. And then we're going to finish with the speed round because that's the whole point of the podcast. I really should just change the name to the speed round and just totally go off, off script, off grid with everyone. Um, Dean Somerset the unicorn. Are you ready for the first thing? Sure. Bring it. All right. So I'm right now, like as far as like things that I'm interested in, in the fitness industry, uh, is longevity and trainers that have been in the industry whatever, however you want to phrase it, fitness, personal trainer, whatever industry, um, for a long time, you know, decade plus, how do you, what do you think has contributed to your longevity in this field? Um, I think part of it is just I don't know how to do anything else. So I've kind of pigeonholed myself into just being only a jack of one trade, which is kind of strange. But uh, at the same time, it's something that seems to work for me. I mean, I look at what my parents did and what your parents probably did, where they worked a career for 20 or 30 or even 40 years. And to have trainers say, oh, five years, you're old. That that seems kind of strange because I, I think after five years, you're just getting started. It's not something where you can say, oh, you know everything, you know what to do. I look at where I am now compared to where I was after only being in the industry for five years, completely different as far as how I coach, how I program, what I think about, all that kind of stuff. So uh, the longevity element of things, I think, comes down to just being willing to stick with it and being willing to do stuff and challenge yourself in new ways or pick stuff up that makes you interested. So it's not about just, you know, going in, clocking work and leaving. If you do that, then you're going to be just like anyone else who doesn't like their job and can't wait for Friday. And it's going to be a bit of a slog. 
But if you find ways to challenge yourself and find ways to keep interested in the work, that becomes a cool challenge. So a great example of that is after about five years in, I started doing things like video products, online stuff, uh, distance coaching, workshops around the world. So that helped me to kind of get a new take on what I was doing. And then from there, I was able to open up into different avenues as far as writing, as far as presenting, as far as thinking about how I could actually leverage different uh, strengths or weaknesses. So uh, it wasn't something where it was changing what I was doing, but I was just doing it slightly differently or in a different way. Yeah. Expanding on what you may have currently been doing. Um, that's awesome. I, that's not really the take I thought you'd go with. Um, I like how you like kind of blocked it up as like, yeah, five years, like I kind of like did it, dived into the craft. And then after five years started kind of picking areas that, that you thought were kind of cool and kind of caught your interest to promote longevity. Whereas I think, I think most trainers, and this is probably like a wrong stereotype would just, you know, they just kind of jump in and they go, well, I'm not what I see on social media in today's world. So I'm a failure and I now can't pay my bills. So I'm just going to go take whatever job I now hate. But um, really thinking about what you do that, that, I mean, I guess to be in something for a long time, you have to kind of think about the long game. So um, when you break it down, it does kind of make sense. Um, one thing that kind of always drew me to you, one of the first people I ever followed was, uh, in, as far as fitness industry, was Tony Gentlecore. And you obviously are, are the bros, um, Tony and Dean. Um, shout out to Complete Shoulder and Hip blu uh, Blueprint, um, one and two. But you started in a commercial gym or like a big box gym or, or whatever that might be, however you want to phrase it. And that's where I... I work. I actually enjoy it. And you were always one of those people who, who like kind of had the brighter side to what people typically kind of paint as like a career coffin as far as commercial gyms. Um, and ironically enough, like last week, I think I saw on Facebook, it, you posted like it had been a year since you've um, gone to Somerset Fitness and kind of moved in more like an independent contractor role. But I want you to turn back the hands of time. Dean Somerset is now this young strapping buck uh, in Canada. Um, maybe less of a beard because you're such a child, you couldn't grow one. But what advice would you give someone who is looking to move um, from a big box gym into being an independent contractor? Like, what would you say, like, what skills should they have harnessed in, a, in their initial setting? Or, or if you're really looking to make the move out of a big box gym, what would you say would be some things they should, you know, pay attention to? Um, the biggest things would be make sure that it feels like it's the right situation for you versus just jumping into things. I mean, probably for about 10 years, I've been getting offers to go and work at different independent studios or different gyms or do stuff on my own, but it was just never the right fit. Either the lease price that uh, different studios were charging their trainers was astronomically high or geographically, it wasn't going to work well for me or potential clients or my clients as they were, or something was getting in the way. So it wasn't something where I was like, oh, hey, this is a cool facility. I want to make it work. You got to ask a lot of questions with that kind of stuff. Um, one thing I think a lot of trainers need to understand is that when it comes to the business element of things, how a person purchases equipment says a lot about whether that business is going to be viable down the line. So when I was asking people about the different uh, avenues of how they set up their business, you know, what's the terms of their lease? Are they locked in for 20 year? Is it a progressive lease where every year the lease price goes up? When they purchased their equipment, did they get it on loan or did they have existing capital? If they had a loan, they got to pay interest on that. And every month that chews into their profits. So if they have somebody who already has existing capital and bought the equipment and they don't have debt associated with that equipment, that's a good situation to get into. 
if they have debt associated with that equipment purchase, that's not a good situation because then you're beholden to them to pay the equipment loan off every month. If they get into a point where they're not paying that, then they go into receivership or they default on the loan, then the facility closes and you're out of work. So understanding what's the longevity of the location that you're going into, that plays a huge role in whether or not you're actually going to be able to be substantial or substantially busy or long-term successful in that facility. If they're looking to aggressively expand from a small space to a bigger space, that means a bigger lease price associated with them. Can they afford to pay that with the current model or do they need to get another 50, 100, 200 clients in order to afford that new lease price or all the associated expenses? So ask a lot of questions about the business before you make a move going one way or another. If it's something simple like, here's a low lease price, we've got a lot of businesses associated with this current location that pay a subcontractor or sublease that pay the fee of whatever our expenses are and then we have memberships on top of it, great. It's easy enough to get into. Or if you want to get into something that has a really cool culture or a really good setup for you or works with the specific athletes or clientele that you want to work with, consider that first. Because obviously you want to enjoy your work more than anything else. If they're in a high traffic area, if they have a lot of amenities, if they have a lot of really cool stuff going on, if they have free parking or access to parking, those all play roles in terms of what you would do to actually make a move. And then also, do you have any restrictions from your previous employer, like non-competes, non-solicitations? Uh, are you a financial stakeholder in that previous business that would limit your ability to open up another business in a competing geography? So a lot of business stuff, a lot of legal stuff, a lot of choices that you have to make. But at the end of the day, it has to be the right situation for the individual. Wow. So one, thank you for like ripping the curtain down and, and giving an answer that is that detailed and that specific. Um, two, have you ever like wrote about that? Because that is like, dude, you just wrote like the, like the complete shoulder hit blueprint. You just wrote like the complete blueprint to like moving into an independent studio or something like that. Cause that was, I've never actually like seen a lot of information about people who move from one setting to another. Obviously I think people paint the gold standard as owning your own gym. And I don't necessarily know if that's the gold standard, but wow. Honestly, I, I don't think that owning your own gym is the gold standard. And when you talk to people who do own their own gym, um, they'll say that having your name on the board is probably the biggest gift and curse you could probably have. I mean, uh, look at Pete Dupuy, who was a co-owner and business operator for uh, Cressy Sport Performance. He said one of the biggest issues that they had was that they put Eric's name on the placard. So then everyone who comes through the door wants to work with Eric. Yeah. Eric's amazing and Eric's great, but he'll be the first one to say, no, you I can't do it. You got to work with these other people because he's so busy. And then that automatically creates uh, a dissatisfaction in the client or in the customer because they're worried about it coming in. I mean, I don't really write a lot about the business element of things just because there are so many people out there where that's what they do. They know business inside and out. And if you have somebody who's got an MBA in business or who has owned a gym for a decade or two decades or three decades, I mean, shout out to Pete Dupuy. I've learned more from reading his blog from uh, from the business standpoint and from any other stuff I've seen. So when you want to learn about the business end of things, go to the people who specifically focus on business. Yeah. I think a lot of trainers, uh, one thing that I've, I've talked on this podcast about is like the three different levels as far as like big box gyms, maybe your subleasing space and then moving into your own facility. Um, and not a lot of people have talked about and pulled the curtain back like you just did on, on subleasing space or being an independent contractor or what that might look like. Um, so I don't know, man, you might, you might have just come across something. I do want royalties. 
I do want royalties and we can work out the transition from, from uh, the Canadian dollar to the U S dollar. I don't, we'll, we'll talk about that off, off, off air for sure. Funny is, uh, last night uh, I went to Ric Flair. Uh, yeah. Hell yeah. He was just sitting there talking. Jimmy Hart was his host and he was ragging on the Canadian economy. He's like that play money you guys have up there. If you bring that down to the States, they'll just hold it and hand it back to you. What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> It was kind of hilarious, but kind of sad at the same time because it's like, <laughs> oh, you're right. Uh, <laughs> God, anything you can get with Ric Flair. That's my, the first Ric Flair reference on this podcast. Man, you really, you might be a true unicorn. You really might be. Um, so I, I got the last thing here, and this is maybe something completely random, but I'm curious, and I think you're going to give a really good answer to this um, because you actually do train people, and that is maybe the most forgotten thing I think in personal training now. Um, how do you tell a client, I don't have the answer or, or I don't know without breaking an initial trust that you might, might be looking to foster with that person? Well, I think that the, the concept that you have to know all the answers uh, is kind of ignorant. Uh, essentially, you don't know everything. There's no way that you should know everything. And if you do know everything, your price point should probably be about 10 times higher than what it currently is. So to increase trust with your clients, you should tell them, I don't know, because then it doesn't sound like your BS and then we're throwing uh, just a bunch of stuff at them just to kind of get through the scenario or situation. I tell clients all the time, I don't know, because I don't. And if I don't know, I'll say, you know, I don't know what the answer to this is, but I'll do some research on it for you. Or I'll connect you with somebody who does, maybe a physiotherapist, a doctor, a chiropractor, uh, witch doctor, uh, shaman, voodoo priestess, whoever is in my network that might be able to have that answer for whatever question they're looking for. I know squats, deadlifts, biomechanics, some anatomy, a little bit of injury stuff. But if it's outside of what I know, it makes me look worse to think or to say that I know the answer to a problem that I obviously don't. So if I tell somebody I don't know the answer to that, that increases trust for that client. And if I say I can't work with you because of a, B, C reason. I don't want to take your money because I won't be able to do the ju justice to what you're looking for. That increases trust with that client too. If I say to somebody with 100% certainly, yeah, I can help you, that increases trust. So I think the biggest thing you can do to increase trust with your clients is just be honest with them. If you don't know the answer, say it. If you don't have a valid reason, don't BS them or don't make one up. If you don't know what's going on, say so. I mean, we're all fallible, we're all human. If you actually put in the effort to say, here's what I know, and here's specifically what I don't know. Yeah, I think a lot of, I, I work with a lot of young trainers that come right out of college, and this is probably their first actual training gig. And they, I, the biggest thing I always find is they always feel the pressure to appease everyone and to have the answers. And, and if one of the answers is that you don't have the answers, like that counts as an answer. And it's just sometimes gets put us on the, put on the back burner and trainers think that, you know, Hey, I do know the answers, but by saying you don't know the answers, just like you're alluding to. And, and the answer is to refer to someone who does have the answer. You've answered the question and you've, and you've done a good job of building trust for the long term. Um, another electric answer by Dean Somerset. <laughs> What's the time difference? Where, what's your time right now? Uh, right now it's quarter after 10 because I think that you're on. Okay. Yeah, two hours, two hours ahead of you. I just, random question. People are going to be like, why did you just ask that, Casey? That's um, not one of the three things, but the three things are over. Congratulations, Dean. You've made it. Um, 
it's not that bad. Like people sometimes are like, they freak out if I don't tell them the things like they're not that bad. They're like very reasonable. And you're a very intelligent person who just shared some pretty awesome answers. Uh, it's time for the speed round and the speed round can be answers as short or as long as you'd like. Um, I've got a few things here. This is like, this was for some reason I've never physically met you. This is my first time ever interacting with you outside of like being the dude that just comments and likes all the stuff that you post on, on your websites. But, um, so this will be interesting. First thing speed round. Is there a complete shoulder and hip blueprint blueprint blooper reel? No, because we just did a shot record and went with it. So that was one take. That was one take, uh, a roll, B roll, everything in one shot. Um, the new version, we're hopefully going to be recording it sometime this year. Um, so I don't know if there's going to be any blooper reel, but we're planning on doing it all. Just same thing. One take like you're a live attendee. So that way you can get the full benefit out of it. Wow. No. So, okay. I mean, wow. No, I thought there'd be a blooper reel. I was like really hoping that you could like be like, yeah, I'll send you the blooper reel after we have this really embarrassing thing of Tony Genocore that I definitely want to send you. Um, wow. You're not that interesting where we have blooper reels. We just put it oh. all up. It's <laughs> kind of a letdown, but it's okay. Um, speaking of Tony Genocore, has he ever approached you about doing a hip hop album? Uh, no, because he's more of a DJ than a hip hop. Uh, artists so he could produce right. he could produce yeah, and you could spit fire that's awesome um uh, what's the favorite pl- your favorite place you've traveled to uh honestly there's been a couple so far prague and slovenia are up on the list uh, those are two out of the way eastern european places but if you've ever been to prague it's sort of like walking into a fairy tale uh, just the, the way the architecture is set up how the city's laid out you can walk everywhere. The cobblestones are set so that it's like an artistic layout compared to what we would see in North America. Slovenia is this really cool area. We were in Ljubljana, which is the capital city, which is only like 400,000 people. But you walk into the downtown center. There's a castle on the hill. There's bridges with dragons on them. There's a farmer's market that's open all year round. There's no supermarkets or Starbucks. Uh, you're not allowed to do takeaway cups. You have to sit and drink your coffee like a human used to be able to so you have to actually socialize somewhat so it's kind of a a really interesting location that's kind of lost to time but still has all the modern amenities you could ask for so yeah we've got a couple up this year where we're hoping to go to uh, australia and singapore so we'll see what singapore has to compare against places like Ljubljana. that's uh that's the next question where do you want to travel to what's on the bucket list um well like i said we've got australia and singapore this year uh philadelphia so in April, so I know that you're in uh, Vermont, so I don't know how long of a trip that is from Vermont to Philadelphia, but you're welcome to swing by if you want. And uh, then we're also trying to organize a couple of places in um, Austria, Germany, uh, Greece, and somewhere probably in the UK in 2020. That's awesome. Look at you. Sign up for the rewards miles, man. That's, that's, that's what's up. Um, what's the best food you've eaten and where was it? I'm a big steak fan. So typically after Tony and I teach a workshop, we like going out to a nice steakhouse just to be able to celebrate. So um, there's been a couple of places that we've eaten before that were really good. Um, uh, What is the name of it? I can't remember. Uh, Morton Steakhouse is a really good one. We went to Del Frisco's. Um, There was a couple, there was one in LA that we went to that was really nice. Uh, One of the better restaurants we went to was a place called Chester in Prague. 
So that was really fun to be able to do. Sounds like Prague's got to be on like everyone's to go list. That's I really think it should be, but then I don't want it to be because when I go there, I don't want there to be a lot of tourists. Right. (laughs) Actually, some of the the best meals that I've had have been street food in London. Street food. People, people sleep on street food because I feel like that's where like the people who really know how to cook, like that's where they're selling food. When we were in London this last time we stayed in Shoreditch, which is kind of just North of Whitechapel by uh, Liverpool. I don't know if you know uh, London very well but they had a street market set up on just like a side street on a Sunday. And this one guy was selling duck confit burgers with foie gras and black truffle cheese. And we we're just like, what the what? Why yeah. is this street food? So we have it. And it was like a mind bending experience of food in a street food setting in the middle of like the grimiest gentrifying area in London currently. So it was really neat. That's that. Those kind of the kind of stories that make me appreciate like, why people need to travel because those like you'll never get that anywhere else yeah and if you ever watch like anthony bourdain parts unknown you start to see what's in street food you start thinking about hmm, you know what i'm going to turn down this side alley somebody's cooking something as long <laughs> as it's terry and as long as it's like you don't see cops in outside saying okay we're going to shut you down for health violations it's worth a shot just to see what's going on <laughs> what piece of equipment is missing from the basement of champions you know, I would love to get a belt squat machine, but uh, that's probably not going to be something that's realistic. Um, K-Box is something I'm really interested in, but uh, the price on that for just to train myself and my wife probably isn't going to justify it too well. Yeah. I mean, I've got a pretty good setup in the basement gym so far for a lot of the stuff I have. I mean, anything that I would need would be secondary to barbell stuff. So if I needed anything, it would just be like, oh, well, the barbell does so much, but this other stuff does this other stuff. Um, that's about it. I mean, I don't think that there's a lot of equipment that I would need in the basement gym. It'd be really interesting unless to, unless you have like a, a walkout basement to get a belt squat machine down the stairs. That would be a lot of fun. You disassemble it first and then reassemble it. That still would suck. That's still heavy. <laughs> It really is. At least you can carry the K box like that. That might be the winner. That's the real winner. True. I have a garage of awesome. So I, I, I wanted to just get your take because I, I too have eyed the K box, but for me, three, four days a week at that price point can be really tough. Yeah. I, I think that the one that I do need though, is the women's WWE world championship belt. I, so we, we, yeah. We've got the championship belt. We need the women's one in there. We can get yeah. that going. That's awesome. Mount it to the wall, and then you and your wife can definitely. You got, maybe that's what you need. The piece of equipment you need is is a ring. It's a little too small for that. I mean, we don't quite have twenty by twenty with uh, rope support or anything like that. So we don't support uh, yeah, that kind of negativity on this podcast, Dean. Um, we're I'm optimists here. We can make it work. I'm an optimist, but I'm a realist. We just don't have the basement space for it. So <laughs> I want to make sure that if we do something like that, that it's actually going to work well. God, that's it. I can appreciate that. If you're going to do it, do it right. Um, is Tim Hortons better than Dunkin' Donuts? And yes, I just asked that question. I honestly don't go to Tim Hortons very often. And wow. I've gone to Dunkin' Donuts once. And that was uh, in Boston. And uh, it was the first time I was in Boston with Tony teaching a workshop. As we're walking out the door, he hands me a spike. And I'm like, oh, great. This is nice. Now I need to go get some caffeine. So we go to Dunkin' Donuts and I get a large coffee and a spike and I'm pounding both at once. And Tony's looking at me like, do we need to make a trip to the hospital so that you don't infarct on the way? But it, it was nice because it was a two hour time difference. It was early in the morning and I needed that little extra picking up. So I was human by 9 a.m. 
Wow. Uh, <laughs> having had a spike, multiple spikes, yep. you're insane for pairing that with anything else. You Did you black out? Like, was it just like no. spike to the face, black out? Oh, I did also have a cup of coffee. No, but I could hear colors for about a half hour afterwards. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, yeah I was at, um, in Boston and Tony and his wife had the, um, strong body, strong mind workshop. And it was like six o'clock in the morning. Tony's there setting up for a seven o'clock start and he's just crushing a spike to the face. And I was just blown away that someone can like, just, I mean, he borderline shotgunned it. It was, it was really impressive. Yep. He does, uh, he does have, kind of devices when it comes to like coffee or alcohol or anything like that, but you know, everyone needs something. So spikes is something that's yeah. He should get a sponsorship. That should be uh, that should be on his to-do list this year. Um, have you ever thought about creating an alter fitness ego and follow me on this called Dean Superset? No. Are you going to now that I just plant the seed? That sounds nope. like a lot of work, but no, uh, it's not, it's not, we can do this. I can help you. I only want royalties. I'll tell you what, I'll let you do it. And then I'll just take 30% of the, okay. A parody account, Dean Superset. I mean, you have a good last name for this. I agree. You have the belt. If we build the ring, we'll do like an eight by eight ring and your name is Dean Superset. Eight by eight. That's really tiny. Well, I don't know the size of your, I don't know the size of your basement, but I mean, you can make eight by eight work. Yeah. But that's like, I I could lay down and then put my arms out and then I'm like corner to corner. Like eight by eight, that's like slightly larger than a king size bed. That's awesome. It's just be be intimate. It'd be intimate. Um, Dean Superset, you're the first Canadian to come on this podcast. How does that make you feel? It uh, feels like I'm breaking ground, just like many Canadians would. Yeah, I'm, like you're a true innovator. Yep. You should have uh, the prime minister give you like a medal or something. I don't know if he's quite into doing that just yet. I mean, I think I got a little ways to go before we can get into the medal rounds. But uh, you know, maybe if, uh, if this podcast blows up and becomes like Joe Rogan size, then uh, to be able to say I'm the first Canadian on the Joe Rogan size three things podcast, that might be something. That's a, that's a tall order. Maybe, I mean, I see behind you, you've got like a nice little wall of accolades. So I need to have a, a ring in my basement. I want you to be Joe Rogan podcast style, right? Okay. So. That's it. I like it. We only support optimism here. Dean Somerset, thank you so much for coming on the three things podcast. You're the man, my favorite Canadian to date. And uh, I look forward to maybe we can do this again and maybe I'll see you in Philadelphia. That's, that sounds like something that'd be pretty, pretty fun. Yeah, I'd be down for that. All right, man. Thank you so much. Take care.